Father, we thank you. We bless you. We worship you. We give you glory. We honor you this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are holy. Holy Lord. We honor you. We reverence your name this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Accept our worship. Accept our reverence and our praise to you this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Please, we can have our seats. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Amen. Um, please um, say good morning and welcome, welcome someone. Jesus. Father, thank you this morning. Um, we ask come and um, come and bless our gathering unto you. We just seek to hear your voice again for you to speak to our souls, to bless us. Father, I ask bring quicken utterance from the spirit. I ask Lord, let's turn this place into an atmosphere of great blessing to bless every heart in the name of Jesus I ask for the release of your spirit release of grace the spirit of utterance to bring forth your word thank you Lord Jesus in Jesus name we pray <coughs> amen glory to God okay. now let's open our Bibles to Psalm Psalm 132. Praise God. Amen. Praise Jesus. For they say amen. amen. Glory to God. 
um, says, Lord, remember David and his afflictions, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Amen. Amen. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Amen. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. Amen. For David's, your servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their children also shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord had chosen Zion, he had desired it for his what? For his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Amen. Amen. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall do what? Shall shout for, for joy. Then I will make the horn of David to board. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his what? His crown flourish. Praise God. Um, so this swearing, so praise God. This is a psalm. So it's a psalm about the um, it's about the heart of David, praise God. Uh, of course, we know David is a, is a type of soul. Right? David is a type of what? Is a type of soul. Is uh, a type of soul which heaven um, has commended or the scripture the scripture commended David and picked him and then brought him into the the or you can say the 
they accepted him or David found a kind of an allocation, a lot within the code, the spiritual code of New Testament, New Testament life. So he was able, he was able to live according to a, a pattern of life in the spirit, <clears throat> which is written in, is written of course in the spirit, uh, but is written into the scripture or the precept, he fulfilled life that is according to the precept of, um, the precept of spiritual configuration, spiritual design of lives. Praise God. Of course, it's mercy. Mercy helped David. You know, God helped David um, to, um, to pick up a life conversation that was greater than his time, that was an example, amen, and a fulfillment of God's desire for man. Glory to God. Um, so David as a type, as a person, must, he has to be studied. We have to learn David. We have to study David. We have to understand David, amen, because of the the blessing that is within the, the, when you examine the life that David had, his expression of life in the spirit, um, there, there's instruction according to the Bible. Praise Jesus. And David went so far, you know, David's life was a journey. He depicted him from the wilderness, you know, obscurity and you see, his journey came from, I, could, I can almost see it as from being lost, right? He was lost, he was found. That was the first story of David. The first time we heard about David in the Bible was when he was lost. When you, you, came, to, you came to his father's house, the Lord led somewhere there. David wasn't found there. Uh, he was, um, he has gone away. <laughs> doing things. Amen. Amen. But God found David, anointed David, and they made sure that the, the giving of spirit to David was according to the, the calibration of journey in the spirit. Thrice anointed, right? And uh, the, the first anointing was the anointing that comes upon you when you come in under the radar of God's will. That was the first one that I that saw poured on him, was the first anointing. You can almost call it like, is a, almost like a typification of the beginning of the Christ anointing, right, which is the the Christ anointing is the first anointing for the will of God. Right? Anointing just means a measure of the spirit, right, which you receive. Um, it's clear that when it came to the destiny of God for David, 
David began his, his journey towards destiny, started the day that Samuel anointed him for the first time. Praise God. When Samuel poured that oil upon him, that was a way of God claiming him and say, okay, I'm inducting you into a kind of a pursuit and we're making it open-ended. We're not gonna, we're not gonna limit you as far as you journey. Well, if you're able to pass the examinations of the course, we'll begin to open up destiny further. And thank God for David. Say thank God for David. That David was able to go all the way to the throne. Right? And in his journey, he was picking up names in the spirit. Do you agree? Yes, sir. What was he doing? He was picking up names in the spirit. When I say, how do you tell? You're picking up names. It's the, of course, the, the, when the spirit, the scripture, um, is an attitude of the Holy Spirit to identify types by names. That's one of the sense of, the, of understanding the Bible. Right? You, they identify types by names. It's not really about the people. God has no respect for persons per se. But for the purpose of learning, they have to identify types. There are a lot of men who had names. Who, who found, who were able to use their life to purchase name in the spirit. Yes, Amen. Yes, and there are all kinds, there are good ones, bad ones. Like Balaam was a name. They mentioned, how, how you know such men, they mentioned them in the New Testament as example, as types. When they want to explain something, they will reference them. Like Balaam, who did this? Like uh, the doctrine of Balaam. Right. Praise Jesus. Cain, the way of Cain. Those are men who acquired name types in the spirit in the not in the dark or in the in the um, in the negative side. Not in terms of their uh, their relevance to to God, right, and to what God is doing. Praise Jesus. Abraham was another person who made a name. God actually told him, I will make your name great. Right? Make it, I will make your name great. As, that Abraham is a type, is a fatherly type in the spirit. Right? All kinds of men. Melchizedek is another example. He's had a name, the, the name and order of priesthood after Melchizedek. Do you see that? Levi, some of all those were all the tribes of Israel were tribes of names. Yes, Praise God. Hallelujah. So David was unique, I would say, um, in the Bible. And, and they made it such that the person who will father Jesus can be an ordinary person. Mm. Jesus should not be the son of a nameless man. Or maybe a man who have name in the natural, but they don't know him in the spirit. Before Jesus will come, they have to walk on his name in the spirit. And that's why David was, God was looking for a man till he found one. He found, he said, I found David, my servant. Glory to Jesus. So God 
had to, the, the spirit of the scripture had to first raise the father of Jesus. Means that they said that the person who will be his father in the flesh must be somebody who has names in the spirit. The reason is because Jesus will need to fulfill that. Right? He has to, um, there has to be a legacy which, um, which, which Jesus must fulfill. And they had to find a way for him to, to, to find a man who has a legacy in the spirit. Right? So as he's, he's fulfilling his father's name, he must be doing it spiritually. Do you see that? So you can see, David, if you want to look at David's, David's names, it can, that can be a case study. And when you study it, you'll find that you, have, <laughs> you are going far. Amen. Amen. So one of the, if you want to count his names in the spirit, you see, David was able to, to, um, to attain the name of, of, or you can call it, a city or God's city. A city called the city of David. Right. When you say when you hear city of David, it means God's prototype for city. Right, that was where Christ was born. Luke two verse one it says, "For unto you is born this day in the city of David, where a savior, which is who Christ." Now, we, of course, we know when they say city of David, you know what were they referring to? A city of David. What city is that? What? No, it's not Nazareth, Bethlehem, right? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Amen. Bethlehem of Judea. Praise God. Verse 4, Luke 2, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the word, the city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem. Because it was of the was of the house of the lineage of, of David. These things are not ordinary. When they are mentioning, they are explaining the city of David, where Jesus was born. They had to, they live in, they live in Nazareth, but they designed it, let him go and be born. In, let him start from the, what, the, the city of David. So Bethlehem is the is a name, is a type in the spirit. It's a prophetic name, but it's not just speaking of a place, it's speaking of it, it's a type of soul. Amen. A type of what? A type of soul. These are the ways to understand the Bible, otherwise you'll never understand. Everything will look like story to you, but nothing is a story here. This is not a storybook. Is a soul manual. Amen. Uh, glory to Jesus. So, you see this Psalm 32 is just a psalm that is explaining David. Everything about David. The, the Davidic heart. The Davidic names. There are a number of them. In the spirit. Praise God. So you see that Bethlehem, you find it in Psalm 132. Here, they're explaining that city. Right, in verse, 
Um, until I found out a place of the Lord, you see, an habitation for the mighty word, God of Jacob, that we, we heard it of it at Ephrata. We found it where? In the, in the field of the wood. So, where Ephrata, where is Ephrata? Ephrata is a province in, or is a place, an area of Bethlehem, where Bethlehem is located. There's a place in the Bible where they mention it, Bethlehem, Ephrata, or something like that. Um, if you can find that one, just to prove it to us that this is speaking about. Um, where is he here? Praise God. Okay, if you can find it. Um, so he said, We heard of it in, in, uh, at Ephrata. We found it where? In the fields of the woods. In the fields, okay. That's Micah 5 verse 2. Um, say, but thou, Bethlehem, says thou, Bethlehem, what? Ephrata. Praise God. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to, to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been what? From of old, from everlasting. Amen. So what is what they are proving? Okay, let's see verse one. What did verse one say? Just to see. Praise Jesus. <clears throat> say now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He had laid siege against us. Then he shall smite the judge of Israel, okay, with a rod upon the cheek. Verse two. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Says, but thou, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, thou though be Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel. It's clear this is speaking about Jesus, right? Um, Whose going forth have been of old from where everlasting. So this, this is speaking about Jesus, right? But this is not just speaking about Jesus. If you want to see it, everything they are saying here are in scripture prophetic types. So all they're just telling you is that everyone who will, who will be a ruler or everyone who will sit on the throne must be someone who came through as a little one, praise God, from and through Bethlehem. So it must be a product of who out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel. So what they're telling you that is Bethlehem, Ephrata, that will be, that will produce he, any, the entity, the kind of entity who will sit upon the throne. Does that make sense to you? Praise God, to be a ruler in Israel, that he will, he will cause, amen, Whoever this person is, whoever fits into this type is a prophecy. Whoever fits into this type, such a person will be the one who will sit upon the throne. So in Psalm 132, um, this chapter is just explaining that choice of God about who will sit on his throne. Right? Beginning from the city where they will come from. Right then, so there are three things where that are named here. There is 
the city, then there is the tabernacle and the throne. Do you agree with me? The city, amen. Nobody should sleep today. You are not allowed to sleep. If you sleep, I will call your name. I will, actually, I won't call you. I will walk in front of you and stand. And start preaching. I will lay hands on you and bind the spirit of sleep. Praise God. This, you have to be ready for non-exciting messages. Okay? Do you agree? You agree? I don't want me to excite you. Let's, let, should we go that route? I will do it and you go home. But that's not the flow of the spirit. You have to learn some things, eh? Yes, Amen. Amen. You have to learn the Bible. Praise Jesus. So there are three, there are three, three, three names, three um, types of names. When you're trying to deconstruct David, to, to open up David, you see that David was a series of works in the spirit. It was a series of what? Of works in the spirit. His, his type, first of all, bore the name of his city. Then that's what was given. You know, these, and these are according to visions of God, which David had. When I say vision, I mean, or you can call them revelations. They are, or you, they are actually de- Davidic wisdom or Davidic keys. Right? David had wisdom keys, senses, concerning things. Praise God. So if you want to check what are the wisdoms of David, um, David had the wisdom of his city, yeah, and he had a name for it, which is a revelation. He had the revelation of a city. He was, he, he was the one who built that city. Right? That was his wisdom. He, was, he downloaded it fresh from what, is, what a kind, God's kind of city should look like. That was a part of the vision that he had in him. Well, not like any pattern on the earth or anything. He had it inside of him. And he said, I will fulfill it. Praise God. Hallelujah. And you know that was the beginning of his wars. It was first to get a city, to get a ground for God. He fought, he fought all the trained him to fight wars, right? You can't have a city if you don't fight wars. So, the first, so that was the reason for the first anointing upon him was for the ability to be able to do all those things, to fight all the things. Before he started fighting physical men, he has fought invisible things. Do you go on things that would like to steal the vision, change the vision, take the vision away from him. But so he got the, the city, the name. Every name is a revelation. Before you build a name, you want that you will have insight, specifics. Then that the summary of what you have built is what you call name in the spirit. So when they will say that Jesus and so God giving him a name that's above every other name, he explained to you why did that what brought about that name. There are things that he fulfilled, glory to Jesus, um, that brought about the name. So so David had a revelation of a city. Then David had then he also had a revelation of a temple. Mm. 
or a tabernacle. David had city revelation, which he founded. Then he founded also a tabernacle, city, tabernacle, and then a throne. Three. So if you want to know David, you must know those three. What is David's revelation about city? What is his revelation about tabernacle? What is his revelation about what? About throne. Glory to God. <laughs> Do you understand me? And if you check those three things, those are three aspects of David's life, which David handled, but he handled them with a different perspective that was different from the order of the time. Praise God. So the, 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 and this place, when you see this chapter, everything, they're just describing those things in this chapter. Glory to God. Um, so the, you know, the tabernacle, which um, the wisdom of tabernacle was, was a unique insight. Do you see that? It was David who got that insight. Before, when I say tabernacle, it's really temple. It's not tabernacle. Before, it was just cloth and all of that. When David came, David was able to, he, he gave his son Solomon the blueprint of the temple. But he didn't only do that. David had, he was doing it according to a wisdom that was inside of him. It was a revelation. Now, before it was time for the temple to come out, David also had wisdom of what to do. Even when he was building, you know, he also built his own tabernacle. He built a tabernacle, but his son built a temple based on the wisdom that God gave him. But David also had wisdom of building tabernacle, not temple, and he did it, but he did it with a uniqueness of an insight. And God found out that everything that David was doing was according to an insight of his heart. Amen. Amen. Was according to what? An insight of in God's heart. Everything that he was doing. The city was according to that. The tabernacle that David built, he had he knew something about God's heart. God's God's intention was able to look beyond sacrifices and offerings. He said that these things thou wouldest not. Thou art no pleasure in them. But there's something about your pleasure. It has to do with the heart which a man has. Praise God. Same thing when David then took the throne. David redefined everything about being a king of Israel. He David sat and ruled by insight, by revelation, by an insight into the heart of God. You know, this was God's dream. God, when Israel was looking for a king, God could not trust that. God knew that what you are thinking about as a king is what the Gentiles have. But that's not my idea of a king. That for you to find an idea of a king, right, it would, it would, it would need somebody who is interested in downloading my concept of dominion, who is interested in receiving my idea of dominion. And then the thing is, God will not, 
God will not really establish rain. You know, it's one thing for God to let you rain and watch you to see what's in you, like he did to Saul. Anoint everything. When you see Saul's own anointing was more dramatic than David even, right? And, you know, pour the oil on him. He began to prophesy everything. At least we didn't see David prophesying, but we saw Saul prophesying. Has he become one of the prophets and all of that? Praise God. And God gave him a chance, but after some time he revealed Right, his heart, and then where, where they found him out was in the matter. It's not everything that will find you out, but the Holy Ghost knows how to plot for you to get to the place that will show whether you, uh, you are just doing it for doing sake or whether you actually get the point of the, of the whole business. Amen. And so it's clear that the place where they found Saul did everything nice. Right, but the place where they found Saul fault was his, 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 his understanding of sacrifices and offerings. It means that when he came to offering sacrifices, they, Saul had no insight. He had no revelation. But are you seeing that, that is the, the place where Saul failed? That's where David excelled. It was the, everything is for the purpose of the scripture to show you a contrast, to show you the difference between Saul and David. They, they zero Saul down to one thing. God was waiting for him. God knew he would get to that point. And when he got there, God checked. He saw how ah, he made a mistake. He thought that God was looking for goats and bulls. So he, God said, go and do it. Don't touch anything. He said, no, I, I, you really need this thing. Let me bring it to you. He's trying to follow you. I know now. He's not, I know what you want, you. Elohim. I know everything. I know what you like. As long as we are burning things to you, you're okay. Praise God. So I can do anything I want. Let me just give you your things that I think you want. Right? That was Saul's problem. Praise God. And so he did that, and then once immediately he did that, God said, I got you. You are failed. And I actually went to prove to Israel that, that I've not found anybody who can be a king. And then God divided the kingdom, took it from him. I've removed you. Praise God. And Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. And had given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Better. Glory to Jesus. So may God help us to, to find that there's something that Jesus called it that which is needful. That there's, and he says there's one thing that's needful. Praise God. You know, it was the same matter in Mary's story. It seemed sacrifices and all vessels. What God Jesus is looking for. Martha was, you know, those, those, not, those are sacrifices, right? Kitchen is an altar. Praise God. <laughs> Praise Jesus. So, is a, an, a sacrifice is where you go, and, you go and cook for God. That's the idea of sacrifice, right? An offering made by fire. That was the standard of the Old Testament. An offering made by fire. When you're cooking, you're making an offering, right? You make, you make it by fire, then you go and serve it to the person. And you go and offer it. You make, it. you make the offering by fire. And you give it to who is 
So, so kitchen, Jesus was using those scenarios just to teach some things about this concept. Amen. So it means that women must be careful about offering, right? You must be careful about your... <laughs> so be careful with kitchen. That's just... <laughs> you don't think you should be careful. You feel like, what do you mean? You don't know that kitchen can collect destiny. Kitchen is a temple, it's a, it's a tabernacle where you go on. And the spirits there are strong. They collect offering, they. Amen. The way priests behave in tabernacle, as are cooks, you know, they have their own, right? They have their effort, they have their. It's a priestly garment, right? So it's, this, it's almost the same, it's the same thing. You are going there, you make an offering by fire, serve it on the table. Praise God. So you have to be careful um, with that. And then Jesus, that was, Jesus was watching Martha's ministry and her offering. But he said that you're, you're encumbered, Martha, Martha. You're encumbered about, you're troubled by. Just answered and said unto her, Martha, Luke 10. Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Say, but one thing. Glory to God. Say one thing. I love this one thing statement. That phrase, one thing. No, that was the language of David. Jesus picked the language of the of Davidic heart, and he was using it to teach them. Jesus was just teaching. I want to teach you about something called one thing. One thing. There's something called one thing living. <laughs> one thing life. You can never be holy if you don't have one thing life. Yes, sir. One thing, like you can call it one, you can call it one thing life, you can call it the singular life, you can call it the singular eyes, the singular eye living. You understand that that message, Jesus stayed on that message and was teaching that message. Teaching that message, singularity. Say singularity. Praise God. So we say one thing is needful. David, the way David said it, that one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I what seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to do what? Inquire. So you can see that what Jesus told Martha about one thing is the same thing David was saying as one thing. It's the exact same thing. This is the one thing they all consider in heaven. When you're bringing all your prayer point, they're looking for the one thing. When they want to bless you, it's one thing, one thing, one thing. All the many are the issues of men, and many are the troubles of men. But heaven, they think of one thing, one thing. Glory to Jesus. So he said that one thing is needful, and Mary had chosen that good part, which shall not be what? What is what did what did Mary choose? Mary chose to she sat at his feet, right? So what was she doing there? To behold and to inquire, behold and inquire. To behold and to do what? 
to behold and to inquire glory to Jesus. But so you now see, but Martha was bringing forth sacrifices that was not really, that Jesus does not delight in. Right. He doesn't delight in that. It's not enough to delight him. Like Saul did, right? Saul brought the fattest ones, the biggest ones, and he thought God would approve, but he said, no, no, no. That obedience is better than sacrifice and to, to hearken than the word, than the fat of rams. Praise Jesus. So, so when it comes to the area of, of sacrifice, that's the, the, the story, the teaching and the lesson of David is about, you, can you learn about that one thing mind as a Christian? In other words, the, to receive programming about what is needful. Glory to Jesus. About what? About what is needful. See, sacrifice and offering, that's Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. Sacrifice and offering thou did not desire, mine ears as thou opened, then burnt offering and sin. So as opposed to sacrifice of an, an offering, you have the opening of the ears. Glory to Jesus. And um, burning means it's not about sacrificing, it's about what, what does God want to communicate. That's the one thing that's needful. What does God want to do? What? Communicate. Communicate, to behold the beauty and to inquire. So it's clear the purpose of opening the ear is for ability to make inquiry in the spirit. Is the, the spirit of inquiry concerning God is the one thing. It's, all, it's the, also the single eye that Jesus spoke about, right? That the attitude of inquiry constantly staying there and the constant posture of the heart in a position of inquiry towards God and never a place of an assumption about what the sacrifices of God and what God desires. That constantly staying in that place of inquiry is a, a huge part at the core of the, the Davidic heart. Amen. I'm making some sense to you. Say inquiry. So you don't get tired in inquiry. You can't get tired in what? Inquire. Why? Because that's where men fail. Eh? That's when tiredness begins to set in. Is that every man has his limit. When you say, God has something to say, they say, oh, wow, it's interesting. I'm excited. Well, excitement breaks out, everything, until God starts talking. They now begin to take the time. And I'm not speaking about maybe message. I'm talking about life. Just <laughs> I'm talking about your... If you find out that men always have plans for, for something to go and do after God finishes speaking. So the, it's easy for the heart to... Because there's a promise that sacrifice and offering I give to you. It has a promise of setting you free from God. Do you understand? That is the, the limitation of sacrifice, which that old sense of a fallen man. When you, when you teach a, a fallen man about sacrifice, the way he will understand sacrifice will be in a way to serve his carnal, his fallen nature. Right? So when you're teaching a, a, a carnal man or a fallen man 
about sacrifice, he will see, what, the way he will be con- conceiving it is that nothing I need to do to be free. Do you understand that? Like Saul did it. Let me just give you this one. I know this is what you're looking for. Can I just do? Uh-huh, let me give you this particular one. But Saul could not see that. Is it because maybe Saul would have looked at everything after going through killing and killing and killing. And he would now think, so you mean I would just kill everything and that's it? No. Then what, maybe what was God really about? So you can see Saul, there are many things you can say about Saul, but the, the Bible didn't say he took the fattest rams and went to sell them, or he took them for himself. He sacrificed them. That was the sin. You have to take your time and understand what God was dealing with him for. Right. It wasn't that he went there, he refused to touch it, but he did his own thing, took everything from him. No, no, he, he took them and he felt this thing would be nice to offer to God. But so you can see that the, the real scene of Saul, the disapproval of Saul, was that he was ignorant about obedience. Do you get that? He didn't, so in that time, when he was making decisions, he didn't see obedience as anything. The fact that this is what God said. Do you get that? <laughs> yeah. That is, is, a, is a great sin to heaven. One of the biggest sins you ever commit is doing something, no matter how good it is, as opposed to what God said. Do you get it? Because it's, an, it's a kind of an insult. It's, a, it's not just an insult, it's like um, you are, it's not like an insult on the person of God. It's almost, you are somewhere rejecting the notion of God. It's almost as if God, you didn't really think about it. It's like you are reducing God to something. That this thing is too important that it must be done contrary to what you said. You can't see that God, God, that there is nothing, and this is a, 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 a kind of programming that you need to have as a Christian. It's, a, it's an inward programming. It's like a, something that you must have. Otherwise, you will be profane. Right? What makes a person profane is that you're trying to resolve God always. So God this, God has so that, or something like you're trying to resolve God to something. Dig it. It's almost like trying to make God come, for, come out of his invisible way of, of, of manifesting and being himself, which is in his word. Amen. So, and oftentimes we forget that everything came from the word, that there was word before anything. Right? It was, that was what the Bible was telling us. That's one of the main lessons of faith. That's Hebrews 1 was telling us that we said by faith, we understand that, right? Everything were framed by the word of God. Amen. And the things which are seen are not made of things which 
which do appear. That the things are seen are not made of things which do appear. It means that where God anchors himself is not in the manifestation. He, God is always in the invisibility. So if you, no matter what is manifest, once something has manifest, if you begin to study it, you will miss God. Even if it's God who brought it out. You just say, God brought this out. So wow, he brought this forth. So let's go and look at it and study it. If you stay there, you'll miss God. It's a sin to do that. Right? That's why you're beginning to glorify the creature. That's what Romans was speaking concerning. Right? More than the creator. Who is blessed forever. He says, who changed the truth of God into a lie? and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is the word blessed forever. Amen. Amen. So that, that idea, that concept of, of even if God manifests something, it's not for you to stay there. right? You must always know that God, anytime you see God moving, know that it's what you are not seeing. That's where God is. It's not in what you are seeing. Right? God, God is always in the invisible. Amen. Amen. So what we call, so the, that, that constant nature of inquiry is a constant search into the invisible to look for God, where God is. Then if, you are, if you are, your mind is armed in that way, then you, then you don't realize that you can never have a settling point as long as you are in, the, in this kind of natural kind of frame or whatever. Amen. There are many ways you can think about it. You can say, oh, let's, when we get the final, final version of Christianity, where we are doing everything so we can settle, there's nothing like that. There, will, there is always, for everything that God manifests, God will not stay there. Right? He won't stay there. He will, where will God be in? Like when he wanted to talk to Elijah, there was an earthquake, there was a wind, what are the things that manifested? Those are ex- explaining something to you. But at the end, God was in this still, small voice. In the still after the earthquake, a fire. But the, God, well, the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, then what happened? A still small voice, according to 1 Kings verse 19. So, imagine, so God didn't stay in the fire. God stayed inside the voice. So that word voice is, is magnifying God's ability to hide in words. God is, can be stable in words. You can just sit in words and stay there. When you take the word and go and make something, you, and you stay with that thing, you miss God. Even if God can ordain for something to come out, to manifest, you do it. But don't stay there. For, go back to what? Go back to the word. Go back to the word. Say the word. The word. So if you ask me, where is Christianity? It's not in anything. It's inside the word. 
You wonder, when will all this revelation finish? When will, when will Reverend K one day say announcement, EGFM announcement, all right? On YouTube. Do not gather, every, all the, everybody around the world, come and listen. Daddy will not say, we finally arrive at the end of mystery. How many souls will thank God that day? Hello, souls will say, ah, finally. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So if you're, if, you're not, if you're not arranged properly, you get tired when, when speaking is not ending, when opening of words are not finishing, when words are expanding so we can get weary because we've been cultured by this present world. Glory to Jesus. That was the, the problem of Hebrews. That's why they became dull of hearing. For which time they offered the teachers and all of that. Then when they began to open the, the, the door of salvation, they began to speak of the, that priesthood of Melchizedek, so of whom we have many things to say. Many things to say, hard to be altered, seeing that you are dull of what? You're dull of hearing. So if you're dull of hearing, it means that the, the heart has, been, has shifted its anchor from that transient, constantly moving voyage of speaking and trying to, to anchor itself on something. The truth is that anything you anchor yourself, that's not the word will pass away. So while you are anchoring yourself, just know that anything you are holding will pass away. To anchor is to pass away. That's, these are simple things about the Bible. We don't teach them, but it's just the truth. Jesus himself, or not Jesus now, this was, this was, um, um, you know, the Bible says, it said that heaven and earth will pass away, but not, what are they comparing heaven and earth to? Not a little jot. Do you see, Matthew, it was Jesus who said it. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or, or one tito shall in no wise pass from the law till all be what fulfilled. This one is even speaking about the law. The law is not even every, all the word of God. You know, this is just aspect of what to, what to fulfill. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. See, it says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass than one title of the, of the law. It's clear we know that this law is, came from the spirit. That's why it cannot pass away. See, forever, O oh Lord, your word is established right in heaven. So you, if you want to go far, if you don't want to pass away, shift your anchor. Just change where your anchor, change your concept of Christianity, everything you're doing, just shift it up off and then then don't be looking for a finished date. Move into the unseen. And then live in the place of, of inquisition. A constant state of inquisition. Can that be your life? 
This Psalm 132 we are reading, that's the Psalm of David, explained the heart of David. And that Psalm that explained the heart of David is Psalm 119. Right? That's what you want to understand. And so that one was just on a particular subject. The whole, that's the longest chapter of the Bible. But on the subject of words, what has David come to understand about God? About words. If David wants to summarize God, is I will summarize him in terms of your law, your precepts, your judgment, your words. Amen. That's Psalm 119. Read the whole of Psalm 119. David was, David was showing how he took himself and stored his existence on the, word, the, law, the words of God. So God, David got to a point when you can't take away everything he has. He doesn't care. Remove everything from him. Send him naked. Strip him naked. He doesn't care. You've not taken anything from him. Why? Because his life wasn't stored in anything. Do you see that? So David was a different man. He's, 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 you can see his concept of a city was different from every other city. When you see kings fighting to have an establishment, a city where they put their throne, they are doing it there too for a sense of perpetuity in the natural. But David was different. Imagine fighting wars, but every time David is conquering nation, God is checking his heart. Are you looking for a land to perpetuate yourself and your name? Are you getting, or are you doing it because of your revelation? If David did it the way other kings did it, there would never be a mention of David in the New Testament. What he would do, he would get the land, he would kill people, he would have it established, but it would not be more than that physical thing which he acquired. What gave David a significance was that everything he did was according to, it was an according to what an insight following God. David was had an insight into what you call the wheel. The wheel. Say the wheel. The wheel. Say, I, I found David, a servant, a man afterward, my heart, who will do what? All. He will do all my will. He will fulfill. Fulfill what? He will fulfill all. So, so David was anchored according to the revelation of the wheels of God. Do you see that? It means David had a revelation of what? The, the, the wheels of what? The wheels of God. David, David knew about the good wheel. He knew about the acceptable wheel. And he knew about the perfect wheel of God. He knew the good wheel, the acceptable wheel. And he knew the word, the perfect wheel of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So it's clear that when it comes to goodness of will, 
that after David found that place called the city, right? First of all, you know, Zion has a city. It's called Zion is a city. It was also a, a type of a mountain and also a, which typifies a temple, right? So the, the city of David was according to the goodwill. It's according to the revelation of the good will of God. According to what? According to the good will. Now, there's a point where good should become acceptable, right? We know that, that the acceptability is something that comes from temple wisdom, right? It's the wisdom of the temple that brings the, that can produce the acceptable will. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then, when you, what you call the perfect will, the perfect will is about the temple, but it goes beyond the temple. <laughs> you have to understand that about the Bible, that the temple really is just a house is a house that produces acceptable people. But once the people have become acceptable to God, they have gotten to God, you can actually take the house away. It doesn't take anything from them. Do you know that? Once a, once a person has, sorry, um, so there's the acceptable Glory to Jesus, and then, sorry, the acceptable, and then the perfect. All right, the acceptable, the perfect. So the house is to produce those who are acceptable and to perfect them, the school of perfection. Acceptability and perfection are in the tabernacle. But when perfection has been done, you can remove the house, remove the temple. That's the wisdom of the Bible. Revelation, there's no longer any temple therein. Right? They've removed the temple. The temple has done its job. But removal of temple, does it take away perfectness? It's just that the temple has done its job. So you, can have, you cannot have perfect beings without temple. Or then, tell me, if you then remove the temple and, all, and you leave perfect beings there, what is left? Throne. Right? Throne. That's the, that's the revelation. At the end, when they remove the temple, what the throne of God shall be in it. I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty, the temple of it. Amen. Amen. What was verse 23? Temple. Temple. Glory to God. 
that had no need of the sun or the moon, for the glory of God did lighten it. And then, and the lamp is what light thereof. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Then, glory to God. Yes, that's verse twenty-two. Verse three says, "There shall be no more cause, but what the throne of God, what and the lamp shall be there." So the throne is present, but the temple was not present. So actually, in God's mind, the purpose of the temple is to reveal the throne. Is to is for the the purpose of the temple is for the establishment of the throne. Without because the throne of God must be established in righteousness. So God's throne, or what you call the dominion, must be priestly. It must actually come out of a priesthood that has been revealed. That's what you call a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, or he calls them a kingdom of priests. Amen. Amen. So is a, that is a kind of a dominion that came out of a priesthood. So when you remove the, what, the tabernacle, you can still have a throne there. Amen. When the, the tabernacle did its work in the wilderness, after some time, when it was time to move into most holy, they removed everything and the priest just carried the ark by itself. So when they were carrying the ark, they were not just carrying a priesthood, they were carrying a throne. What they brought into the land was a throne, a dominion that parted Jordan. When Jordan saw the dominion, Jordan began to part. These are the rightful owners. That was a sign of the parting of Jordan. Those who actually own the land is coming. So once the priests bearing the ark put their feet on the the water, it gave way. Glory to Jesus to, to bring the ark into the, to bring them into the land of promise. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? So you're seeing that you need a city for it, a temple. You need a temple for a throne. You need a city for what? For a temple. You need a what? A temple for a throne. That's the wisdom. So if God wants to establish a throne, you first think of a city. Right, then if after a city, you have to think of what? A, a temple. Then after a temple, you have to think of what? A throne. That's it. Now, now these three things are what you call the will of God. So, when God is looking at a man, God wants to build a city in him. God wants to build a temple in him. And God wants to put a throne in him. These are the things that the Bible records as what God wants inside a man. That need to be raised and constructed and built into him. You must have a city in your soul. You must have a temple in your soul. You must have a throne in your soul. What is the city? The city is the military installment for the temple, right? That was David, David's wisdom. Before, in David, before priests 
Before Levites and priests emerged, warriors emerged. Right? Fighters. Those are the first guys that David raised. Guys who can war and who can fight. You know, when it's time to have a city, it's not time for priesthood yet. Your priests cannot do that kind of thing. You need guys, you need killers who are able to break the neck of the enemy and to, and to drive them out of the land. You have to, they are inhabitants of the land that must be what? Driven out. Without driving out inhabitants of the land, you can't establish a priesthood in the land. Now, it's not priests who drive out inhabitants. They will kill them. You have to train warriors. So, the first anointing that came on David was an anointing to raise warriors. As, in, as pertaining to Israel, right? Those men were deadly guys. So the guys, those David men, you've read it now. I've showed you guys before in the Bible. Mighty men of David. Yeah. Terrible men. Praise God. So, so David had a wisdom of, of how to. And those, no, no, nobody could stand before them. Any people they come against, they make war by revelation. You know, read some of those stories, right? It wasn't normal. How they, they, they would just know where to pass through. Pass through this bush. Do it this way. Do it that way. They had insight, right? Spirit. Making warfare with spirit against those, those nations. Glory to Jesus. That was something that David had. Um, so what produced that wisdom? It was a heart of, that David had. Something about the will. When he, he formed that, cons, that decision in his heart, that I'm not going to rest, I won't give sleep unto my eyes until I find an habitation, wisdom began to flow to him. You see, before, maybe you've seen being a king as one thing, I will show you all manner of things. After some time, anointing began to speak about him. You can't just, it's not just about being a king. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a place where the throne will be founded. And the, the throne should have a foundation or called righteousness. But righteousness cannot be established in a land of contradictions. You can never establish righteousness without fighting war. There's a warfare that must be done for the purpose of what? Of righteousness. Right? Because... First, you won't be able to produce the kind of separation. Separation will not be impossible without a warfare being done. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So, so you can see David, according to what they call the goodwill, he knew in, inside his, in himself what is the goodwill of God. He knew what is the acceptable will for God to accept. That it must be done by a temple. Right? Then the, the perfect will, the proof of perfection is what? Dominion. Or is reigning. Like, that's how you know that perfection is actually being wrought. He's talking about when a reign that is based on righteousness. If you say it's a reign of righteousness, it means a reign of priesthood. He's talking about a kind of a reign, which priestly life 
has produced. A dominion which what? Which priestly life has done what? A dominion which priestly life. David was typified it in his, in his attitude. He, was, he had a throne, but he wasn't sitting there. Every time you look for David, you find him in the temple. Right, so one thing have I desired that I might right, dwell. Right, one thing have I desired of the Lord, Psalm 27, verse 4, that will I seek after that I might, I may dwell. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I mean unending dwelling as a king. Can I have my own palace inside the house of the Lord? I'm sure Israel would have had a palace, but David knew that this is not the kind of a, of a reigning arrangement that God is seeking for. Right? But David began to seek for palace inside the temple because it was according to divine. When he checks the spirit, he knows that God's throne sits in the most holy. He knows that the, the idea of God is to produce a dominion that is a product of priestly righteousness. So I said, this is as a king, this is my desire at all the days of my life. So I can just stay there to do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So um, let's quickly come back. I, I just did some descriptions. So that we understand, when we are reading this place, we'll read it with understanding. Now, amen. It says, okay, so he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Psalm 132. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into, so he's speaking about his own house, verse 2, and his own bed. So you have to contrast this verse 3 with that desire to look for a house of the Lord. Right? He said, I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my own leaves until I find out a place. So the first thing is, it's not about building first. Before you build, you must find a place. So the place is the city where the temple will be built. The city where the temple will be built built or established. He said, I will not give up sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyes until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the word, mighty God of Jacob. Then he says, lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. We found it in the field of the woods. So that word Ephrata, and we call it the field of the wood because the field of the woods is like it's a zone in that Bethlehem region, right? That is um, has some kind of characteristic. is a, is a landscape of, of trees. That's what they call the woods here. A landscape of what? Of trees, tall trees. Amen, which is a type of garden for God. God, we must find a place that can have the ability to have, to grow tall trees. That's the significance of this place. You know, the terrain, that wilderness terrain was interesting. Not everywhere, it's not guarantee that you can get every, some kind of land can only raise shrubs, right? They can't, whatever is there can't grow as tall as this. But the place called 
Say Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrata, is a zone, a place in Judea, Judea that has the, the, the capacity of the land to raise trees. Because he knows that what God wants to build are trees. So the land, that's what separates this land from every other land. It has the capacity. In when it's time for trees, this land can produce trees. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. So we found it in the field of the woods. Said we will go, then we will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his foot too. And arise, O Lord, unto his rest, unto thy rest, thou and the word, ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let them, the saints shout for joy. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of that anointed. Verse 11. For the Lord has sworn in truth unto David that he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Amen. So here you are seeing swearing and another swearing. At first David swore at the beginning. Then God is now swearing in response to David's own word, swearing. So God is now saying what I will do because your, I found your heart to be right before me. Do you see that? So, so David's swearing was not really, it was a kind of swearing, but to be honest, the swearing of a man can't get things done. It doesn't mean that it's not important to swear. It's important to swear, but swear, just swear so that God can swear. But for God to swear, you have to swear the right swearing. You know, people say, oh, I, I, I had a covenant with God. I had a covenant with God. At this time, I was just going through this, and then I just, had a, I just made a covenant. I think you can just make a covenant with God at any time. You know, we've, we've done all kinds of practices in Christianity. God, I covenanted with you that I, every time I would do this, and so because if I do this, you will do that for me. And you know, it's not, it's not biblical. Men don't enter covenant with God. In the Bible, you, you, God, you are too small to say, to just wake up and decide, okay, today I want to enter into a covenant with God. God, I covenant with you that every time, every first month of the year, I will do this. And so, because I will do this, you will now do this for me. Or something like that. It doesn't work that way. The, the law of covenant is that the, the greater makes the covenant with the lesser. Do you get that? So in the Bible, it's God who makes covenant with men at his own volition. It's just that you, you can do your, can you do your best to make him come? Do you see that? Yes, Can you do your what? Your best to make it co him come. Because you know he checks commitment of heart. And as a place your heart will fall into, mercy will begin to tell God. Can you move in that direction? Can you, like when God found Abraham. You know God was working with Abraham, said many things. God never saw anything. Even when he was telling him about 
is the future. He was still checking him. God never swore at all until the mountain of Moriah after he did something. After he did so, you never see God swearing. God was, even there were promises. You know when God said, I promise you, I will do this, I will make your name great. I will, I will. Of God is very, very contingent on many things. You find that you have your own parts to play. God will say, I will, I will. Then you now start telling you what to do. Right? It's not without instructions. He will tell you, this is what I want to do. Right? Like Second Corinthians, I will be in them. I will, I will then. Wherefore, now, come out. This is what. So if you say, I'm not coming out of among them. You've already said I will. So because you said I will, you're, forever your word is settled. God will say, that my I will is not like that. So that's why God will not, never swear until a certain point. Do you see that? God doesn't swear until a certain point. There's a point where God swears. Right? So if you, God hasn't really sworn concerning you, don't be too relaxed. Still do a lot. You still have a lot to do. God will still be trying you. What does he try? He, try, he tests you with the invisible. He will, just, he will keep checking your, your reaction to the invisible. Do you get weary and get tired easily? If you're getting weary and tired, God will just say, no problem. You know, God tested Abraham. God didn't swear. Because God saw tendency of Ishmael. He saw all of those tendencies in him. Until finally, Abraham could prove that even after I gave you the son, you can give it back. It means your heart is anchored in something more than me. You want something spiritual. Then God now swore, and God swore that to, for have I sworn today? He said, By myself have I sworn, said the Lord, for because I has done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, in blessing. That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed. So God has swore concerning that. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So now this swearing of David, of God to David, um, is, is speaking about the, the swearing in truth. The Lord has sworn in truth. That's one thing. God only swears in truth. If you've not arrived at truth, you will not be able to arrive. You, will not, you can't commit God. God only swears in the zone of truth. Amen. It's a different um, allocation of God's word. God can be talking to you as promises. Right? He will just be talking to you as promises. If God is talking to you as promises, it's not a guarantee. It's a promise, but it's not a guarantee because it's t- contingent on things that you must fulfill too. God talks in promises, but after a while, God can st- will start talking in swearing. Talking in swearing is different from speaking in promises. Speaking in swearing, right, is, it binds God to you. But for, before God will bind himself to you, they must have dealt with things in your natures in you, praise God, Hallelujah. which are variable nature and turning nature. 
praise God. Those are things that the amen God begins to do. And then God has a particular word of oath. It's called that oath, word of swearing. It's a particular kind of word which God uses to create a bind. The word of oath is actually the, is actually the, the instrument of marriage. That's how God brings about a marriage, right? Commitment between himself and a man is by swearing an oath, by that particular word. And so, he said, as sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Then, what is what the swearing? He said, of the fruit of thy body, will I do what? Set upon thy throne. Then, if thy children, do you see that? So, the swearing of God, verse 11, is of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. Amen. So what is God telling David here? He's just concerning him. First of all, there's something called thy throne. It is this particular concept of dominion, which you're able to receive from me, which has been verified by heaven. That is according to the right pattern. Amen. Amen. And then he said that, I will take from the fruit of thy body. Do you see that? Of the fruit of thy body will I set. So that thing called of the fruit of thy body. When it says thy body. Thy, thy body. Who was the fruit of thy body? He's talking about in terms of his physical lineage. Not, not, bio, not genetics. Body doesn't mean genetic. Body means your product. Right in the body. Do you see that? Like Joseph, Joseph, Jesus did not have Joseph's DNA, but Jesus is a, was a child of Joseph in the body. Are you? When you say body, it means who you raise with your presence, your physical presence. Right. That's what that lineage is. Right. David to Solomon to his children, that physical thing is a heritage. Teaching of culture, teaching of things that which you do physically. Right? That was how Jesus was the son of David. Jesus wasn't son of David by DNA. Because Joseph was not involved in the conception. It was an immaculate conception. And it was it wasn't Mary who was the child. Mary was like a Levite or something. Um, Joseph was the one who was the son of David, according to the flesh. But Jesus didn't have his genes. So that fatherhood wasn't, when we spoke of Jesus as the fruit, according to the flesh, it was not according to DNA, it was according to transfer of, of his, the physical culture of life, which was which is transgenerational. Do you see that? So, so when they say fruit of body, they spoke about the first person who will sit on that throne will be Jesus. Do you get that? That is verse 11. And Jesus sat on the throne. So then verse 12 is now speaking of something else. He says, if thy children will keep my covenant. Then, and my testimony that I shall teach them. Their children shall also do what sit upon what thy throne forever. Now the scripture here has moved from 
just natural genealogy. It's moving into the spirit. So they are dis- distinguishing between the fruit of David's body and his children. Are you seeing the difference? For example, when they spoke about this, when the Bible speaks, about, it's just Bible language. You know, before you understand Bible, you must know its language. Uh-huh. So when the Bible will say, "The seed of Abraham is Christ," the seed of Abraham is Christ. Is the seed? It's like almost like saying like the fruit of your body. It's almost saying that the seed, not seed as of many, seed as of one. That one is Christ. But we are children of Abraham. How are you a child of Abraham? Are you physically a child of Abraham? No. All right? How are you a child of Abraham? You is by coming into the name. It's by being named according to Abraham type of name. Right? Abraham has a name which he was is there in the spirit, which anybody who will choose to become his child, which is according to that name which he has. Amen. He can be named as a child of Abraham. So it's clear we are all children of Abraham, not, be, not of in the flesh, right, or of his body. Amen. But spiritually, according to the typification of who Abraham is, Right? So when you say you are a child of Abraham, it means you are a child of faith. When David came in the spirit, he's farther down from where Abraham came from. In terms of what was birthed, faith has traveled for a long time before it got to David's time. Do you see that? Every Christian is a child of Abraham, but not every Christian is a child of David. There are different names in the spirit. As long as you are born again, you are a child of Abraham. You can call Abraham your father. They will agree. Father in what sense? Father of what he fathered on the earth. We're not talking about his personal work as a father. That's not the same thing. You can learn that. You can study that. There's something you come into is that if you want to begin to trace Abraham, his walk, somewhere, you begin to see elements of David there. But we're talking about what he fathered really was faith. Galatians 3 can explain that thing. Know that you are, which, are, which are of faith. The same are the children of Abraham. What makes you children of Abraham is because you are of faith. That's clear. We've, we've dealt with that area a lot. Amen. Amen. Are you understanding that? Yes, faith. So once you become a person of faith, you are, you are a child of Abraham. Is it not every faith? It's a type of faith. The faith which Christians have. Right? Not the faith of... Um, not the faith of a natural person. Like a Jew, a Jew have faith. Do you, uh, do you see? A Jew has faith, but a Jew is not a child of Abraham in this order. 
they might share properties in the natural with Abraham, but not that's natural children, not this kind of children. This kind of children, only Christians. If a Jew wants to be a child of Abraham in this way, he has to become a Christian. Right? You have to become a child according to his legacy of faith, according to his faith name in the spirit, which we became children of. You understand what I mean? So in the same way, David has his own children in the spirit. The way the progression occurs, you must be a child of Abraham before you become a child of David down the line. Right? You be a child of Abraham by, by believing. The, being a child of Abraham has to do with believing in a resurrection. Right? You must believe in that resurrection power. It makes you a child of Abraham. Now, what raises the spirit from the dead? That's what faith does, that activation of faith. Right? Praise God. But when you, well, David's kind of child is not about, it's not about that. David, David's children are children of his name. So for you to be a child of Abraham, you must know the name of Abraham in the spirit. You must, it's based on the definition of his name. In this, which the scripture has defined in the New Testament. You can know, okay, I can, I can become a child of that name. But when you know the, what defined David in the spirit, you now discover that the, becoming a child of David, after you become a child of Abraham, is a further journey. Right? For you to be a child of David, you must have gone beyond just being a Christian. You must have begun to come into the conversation or desire concerning what? Will. Will. The will of God. Right? Abraham's name is about coming into the family of God. David's name is about the will of God. The will of God. That is, that is, so David's name is talking about some kind of maturity when they begin to open up the seasons of God's will. So, you now see that when it comes to David, they spoke about the children. There will be a time you become, you have children of David. When you're not thinking of David, you're thinking of that name. First of all, we'll produce children. Then those children must produce children again. Each of those are seasons of birth. So David and Abraham are key in the Bible. How do I know? It's, what the new, it's not just from mind. It's what the, how the New Testament raises them. They are reference points. Jesus made those reference points. The epistles also make those reference points. 
Romans make the, make the reference points. The revelation make to, to David, even in the book of Acts, all of the, the, the apostles, they keep making those key reference points. Abraham, key. David, key. When they are speaking concerning all that Jesus came for, to do. So, those reference points, they are point of birth. Do you get me? They are what? Points of birth. So, anytime you hear birth, being born in the New Testament spiritual sense, it's reference to allocations of the names which those men have in this spirit. Does that make any sense to you? Uh-huh. So it's clear. What kind of birth does Abraham's name reference? Is being born again. That's it. That's the, that's the birth. Is that the kind of birth that involve, that brings you into God's family? Right? It's the birth, right? Which is what Jesus made reference. No, Jesus was teaching with that framework in mind, just teaching of births in John chapter 3. But Jesus was teaching between Abrahamic birth and Davidic birth. It, it talked about Abrahamic birth and scratched the surface of Davidic birth. That's Jesus' mind. Right? So he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see David. Right? In other words, except you are a child of Abraham, you can't see the, the, you can't see David. You cannot see the name of David. You can't see the definition of David in the spirit. You only see David in Abraham. Right? Except you are born again, you're going to, so when you say the kingdom of God, it's clear that Abraham's name is the name of God's family. David's name is the name of God's kingdom. Right? Are you seeing the difference, sir? Right? Abraham's name interprets the family, how to access God's family. That's what Abraham's name is for. But among, in the family, there's a way to access the kingdom. You can be in the family but not be in the kingdom. So, God, after Abraham, God had to wait, check it. The number of generations from Abraham to David is the exact number of generations from David to Jesus. If you read the genealogy, after Abraham, the number of people you will count before you get to David is the same number. Is it like 14 or something? See, so all generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the carrying into Babylon and all of that. Amen. And then from the, and 14 generations from the carrying away unto Babylon, unto Christ, are 14. So it's 14, 14. Those are specific, you know, scriptures showing you key, key entities. Amen. It's for understanding, you know. You know, that's all the Holy Ghost has been doing since. It's just, it's weaving knowledge. 
for those who will seek. And they, they must write it this way so that if it doesn't concern you, you will never know anything about it. That's just the reason. If you wonder why is Bible written like this, why must you? It's, it's simple. just so that those to, it's to whom it may concern. <laughs> That's how, actually the Bible should be like that. The Holy Bible on that. To whom it may what concern. So if it doesn't concern you, you read it. You just read your own thing, and you will not know all the codes. These are codes, right? They are writing codes into the Bible that if you don't join, you are not looking for salvation. You will never see any of all these things. You will understand. You will just be reading in, in John chapter 3, Jesus was having an argument or something with Nicodemus. You will know Jesus was teaching something. To John need to see why was he talking in that way, being born, this one, that one. You have to understand the spirit has to lead to the scripture to see that. Do you see that? So, and, and Jesus spoke in, the, in terms of birth, right? So you're seeing born again, first birth. Do you see that? Except the man that born, be born again, he cannot see. He cannot see David. David I said David is kingdom. Uh-huh. Then, except the man be born of the water and of the word spirit, he cannot do what? Enter. So that... Being born of water, when you now say water and spirit birth is Davidic birth. Water and what? Spirit word birth is what? Davidic birth. Amen. Because this, this, um, this birth, right, is the birth of the will. Anytime you see kingdom, just think of will. Kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. Kingdom means dominion. Dominion means the dominion of a will. Do you get what I'm saying? Amen. So, but Jesus just mentioned one of this birth. Here. So, it's clear that what Jesus was talking about here is how to become children of David. But we know that the children of David will give birth again. Right? So you can see that this birth is... This is the way you understand it. God did not promise Abraham kingdom. God promised Abraham a seed. But God told him that seed would be a dominion seed. In other words, in summary, God told Abraham, you will have a Christ. Your Christ will be a king. Your Christ will be the first king. Right, he will be the first spiritual king. So, when you're being born of water and spirit, is being born into Christ. 
Right? Being born into Christ, you see that? He's been, he's been born of water and spirit. Then after being born, so in David, there are two births in David. Two births in David. Is the birth for the temple than the birth for the throne. The birth for the temple. The birth for what? The throne. It's clear. When they, are, they want to give birth to a Christ, they are giving birth to a Christ for temple function. Then when they want to give birth to a divine man, the, the purpose of every divine man is to sit on the throne. All right? Do you see that? What is Christ? Christ just means the minimum qualification for the temple. Christ means actually anything that has to do with priesthood. You get what I'm saying? There's a shell of priesthood which is called the Levitical life. Right? That's a shell of priesthood. Then there is the product of priesthood which the priesthood produces for another school, which is the school of God, right? Which is the, yes. So really, when you see tabernacle, tabernacle really is the home of a priest. But it's the home of a priest, but the, God borrows it to raise his own high priest. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Aha. Uh-huh. A priest can't function without a tabernacle, but a high priest can, who has been fully raised. That's why they call it, that's why they, they call it the priesthood. It's not, really the, it's not really the high priesthood, it's really the priesthood. High priesthood, where high priesthood really happens is on the throne. The throne is the real office of high priesthood. All that, he, when you say high priest in the tabernacle, is just is learning what he will be doing on the throne. Am I making any sense to you? So, those, these two births are, are where? In David. When you open the name of David, it means that David gives birth twice. And each of those births have characteristic. Amen. Amen. So, verse 12, that's what verse 12 is saying, that if thy children will keep my covenant. So, you know, it's, not, it's saying if these are the laws. So when you produce children, they have a task to do. Means that when you have children, I will begin to teach them. 
Do you see that? The purpose of you having children is to go through a school. To go through a school until they give birth. But when they are giving birth, they are giving birth for the throne. Am I making any sense to you? So the children of David, they said, if thy children will keep my covenant and what my testimony that I will, I shall teach them, their children shall what also then will sit upon what thy throne forever. Glory to Jesus. So, so the learning of the covenant and then what testimony, praise God, is what will, the fulfillment of learning covenant and testimony is what produces the birth for who? The birth for the throne of God. Glory to Jesus. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. You see that? I will abundantly what? Bless her word. How it provision, bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Then I will do what? Clothe her priest with what? Salvation. And her saints shall do what? Shout aloud for joy. So the first part is blessing her with provision and satisfying her poor with bread. Right, so there is the the poor must be satisfied with bread. When the poor have been the, the, the school place where they satisfy the poor is in priesthood. It means that if you are beginning to satisfy the poor, you are feeding them. That food you are giving them, praise the Lord, are his training laws of priests. Remember, the, the poor, when he says poor here, poor means meek. All right? Meek are those people who the gospel will come to. Right? The gospel will come to the poor or to the meek. The first poverty is what qualifies you to receive the law of Christ or to receive priestly meat, or to partake of priestly ministry, is the poverty of heart which you have for the gospel. Then after the poor has been fed and fed and fed and fed and become satisfied, right? I will bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with what? With bread. The, so the satisfaction with bread is the fulfillment of what the Bethlehem is meant for. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Mm. All right. You can check it out. I think that's what I think. I think that's correct. Is that correct? House of bread means Bethlehem is a is a place in Judea for for giving of provision. For, for satisfying with bread, for giving, amen, for the ministry, is the, is the ministry of inquiry. Yes, sir. 
That's what they call priestly ministry. Ministry of inquiry in the spirit. Where when his soul begins to be tuned to satisfaction, right? You begin to tune your, your soul. You begin to search for satisfaction. It's not easy to search for satisfaction. This world is a bad place. In this world, someone's soul can be hungry, but you won't, you won't be looking for, to satisfy that hunger. Rather, you're looking for other things that make you more hungry. Is it is a work? That's how you know a devil has done it. Normally, when you're hungry, you should move towards food. But the instinct of the fallen man is, when he's hungry, he doesn't move towards food. He runs from food, and then he runs for other things. So, is a is a is an evil. What's the evil of the devil? Is to make a soul to be hungry, hungry, but not poor. To be hungry, but not poor. So the word poor, P-O-O-R, there. It's not that you're hungry alone. Poor, it has to do, no, it's not just about the hunger. Everybody's hungry. Everybody needs God. Even the ones who shouted, I don't need him. They need him the most. Everybody needs God. So it's not really about do we need God or not. That's not the criteria for eating. It's not whether you need God or not. Because everyone needs God. If you call hunger, you know, there's a way you can think of hunger. And the Bible speaks of hunger in two ways. Hunger can mean no food in the stomach or something. Hunger can also mean appetite. So when you say there's a between poverty and hunger, that poor, poor in spirit, poor is not absence of food. Poor means presence of appetite. Right? The presence of appetite and the desire to be filled. Right? That's a type of, of meek or poor. Those who have no money, those who have nothing, but who are needy, who are needy. Praise Jesus. So, but this world makes us, the more wretched we are inside, there's a way we try to, we have an instinct to go outside to look for things to satisfy that. So it means that that poverty has not been reached. It means that you are not doing too well if you are like that in priestly configuration. You're not really a priest. Right? A priest is someone who has forsaken all the provi- everything on the outside, but only seeks the provisions of God. That's how you know you have become a priest. When you are only seeking the provision of God. When you've gained a kind of magnet that magnets you more towards God's kind of satisfaction than satisfaction you get from other things. Right? That's what makes you a priest. Once you're moving more like that, that's, a, that's priestly impulse. A priestly impulse is an impulse that moves toward God. Or you can call it move towards, to be satisfied more towards the invisible. Right? And we can all check our impulses. Some of us, we don't, when we're looking for satisfaction, we don't move to the invisible. We move outward. Out away from the invisible. But, so... 
So it means that we are not satisfied looking, we don't know how our satisfaction of our inward man comes from. You get what I'm trying to say? Glory to Jesus. So, but David's heart, the children of David, are those who are looking for um, amen. So, in God's house, there are two things God wants to do for priests. He wants to first feed them and clothe them. But for him, before he begins clothing, ministry of priesthood should grow from feeding. You won't stop feeding, but you feed and feed and feed and feed to a point where you have grown to fit the garment. The garment is a size in the spirit. If you are tiny, you can't wear the garment. So let's leave the garment first. Let's keep feeding him or her to grow. So there's a concept of growing to fit your garment. Growing to wear your garment. Am I making sense to you? So the purpose of priesthood is to raise the soul to for, so you can see, before you get to a high priestly garment, or what you call the garment of salvation, there are small, small, small garments which you, you will use before you put on that one. Right? They, they broke them down into Levitical, but it's not that Levitical garment, it's just, it's just garment to eat. It's what you wear to eat. Then after some time, they will change it. Okay, you, know, you cannot begin to eat strong things. Let's change your garment. It's still for eating. As far as God is concerned, as far as God is concerned, a, a priest doesn't do anything. A priest only eats. Right? Because the service of God happens in the most holy. A priest doesn't come there. God never sees him. But God has put him in a place to be doing things. When sacrifice all things of things come to the to the house, God has gave him their portion, be eating this portion. Keep eating it. Just be don't worry, don't come, just be eating there. Just be eating. There'll be a day when you will come. But when you will come will determine whether you have eaten enough to wear the garment that that because when you're coming here, you're coming here for work. It's a it's a feeding working kind of operation. But you are, when you're coming, you're actually coming for a type of work that's, that you, you must use garment to do in the most holy place. Amen. And you get what I'm trying to say? Glory to God. So the, the, one of the main, as a priest, when you are in priestly ministry, you must, he says that I, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with what? With bread. That bread is typified as the shoe bread. Right? In the, in the holy place. Glory to Jesus. Which is a bread for the priest. So then I will then clothe her priest. So when those priests have been raised by bread. So the bread is for the poor. The cloth is for the priests. The bread is for the poor to become priests. Right? The clothing is for the priests to, be, to sit on the throne. Mm-hmm. 
Hallelujah. Amen. When the priests have been clothed with salvation, then I will cause the horn of David to board. That, that horn to board. A horn of David is also, a horn is a sign of authority. You can translate horn to staff or rod. Staff or rod. They mean the same thing. And we know that the sign God showed them in the wilderness of who's, who has the right to enter the most holy is bring your rods, all of you. Whichever one boards, that's the one. Right? And whichever one the most holy will cause to board, it means that you have, you have the development, you have the authority for this realm. Do you see that? That word horn is a staff, the authority, which is really for dominion. Right? When they told Jesus to sit, right, to, your throne is forever, then the, the scepter or your rod or your horn is a right word. Scepter is a type of ruling. So when he says that um, you must, he says that you, I will make the horn of David to board, I have ordained the, ordained the lamb for my what? Anointed in verse 18, I began to speak with the enemies. The enemies with I clothed with shame upon himself shall his crown flourish. So it's clear that, you know, see, that will send forth the rod of thy strength out of what? Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. So when you now begin to speak about enemies, dealing with enemies is a sign of reigning. Right? Or not just dealing with enemies, ruling over what? Enemies. Praise God, it's because of, like Jesus Christ sat and he said, sit down at my right hand until our enemies be made your footstool. That's Hebrews chapter 1. Amen. Amen. Glory to Jesus. So David, um, the Davidic nature in the spirit is has to do with the the soul having, first of all, that appetite, that desire, poverty. You must gain that poverty first for bread. And then you must eat bread. You eat all manner of breads until you are clothed with salvation. Salvation is for the throne. Right? He who sits on the throne must be clothed with robed with salvation. And have the rod of righteousness. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Am I making any sense to you today? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Now, that poverty is the first thing. The first thing, poverty, poverty. There is the poverty of David. It, is, it takes the poverty of David to access the resources of David. Now, are you seeing where these resources are hidden? So everything about God's throne, God's reign, God's authority, God's priesthood, God's salvation, every, all those things are hidden inside Davidic 
keys of nature. If your soul falls out of that code, you can't make journey in the spirit. If you break out of the ghost, and you can break out, a soul can break out of poverty. When you break out of poverty, if you break out of poverty, you break out of bread. You break out of provision. All right. When you fall out of poverty, you fall out of provision. Wretchedness will set in. Inability to continue. Weakness about continuing. You begin to dislodge from the invisible, dislodge from the inquiry nature. Right? You know, Jesus was, David was, he was used to eating bread. He got, because of alignment and revelation, bread that normally if you go and eat, you die. David took it and gave to his guys to eat. Because, and when, normally they should die after eating that bread because it's a priest's bread. But the bread, look at them, and say that this guy has more revelation about me than the priest who normally eats me. Do you understand what I mean? So what, what offense? He has not committed any offense. This is the man to whom the bread belongs. Right? It was Jesus. Was it Jesus saying this, right? Say, but, but he said unto them, have you not read what David did? When he was unhungered and they, they, that, were to, they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. So it was a priestly bread, glory to Jesus, but David came, David ate the bread, and it was okay. Nothing happened to him. Why? Because he tells you that he had that heart. You understand? It belongs to him. So bread belongs to the poor. That's what Jesus was teaching or saying that Luke chapter 4. Right? He said that, therefore, the Lord has anointed me right, to preach. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach what? The gospel to the poor. To preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captive. Receiving of sight to the blind. To set at liberty to them that are what? Bruised. So everything he said after poor is an explanation of the gospel. You see there's a semicolon after poor. Means when they say semicolon, he's explaining Inside is the gospel to the poor. These are all the things that will happen when the poor has the gospel preached to them. The broken heart will be healed. Deliverance will be brought to the captive. Sight will be recovered. Liberty will comfort. Are you seeing that colon, semicolon? So it's, so it's really, really clearly, you can remove from that semicolon downward and you have the complete statement of what Jesus said. The rest is an explanation. All right, so... He's saying that what the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for, the purpose of the Spirit of the Lord is to preach the gospel to the poor. To preach what the gospel to who? The poor. So if you don't have poverty, you cannot receive. So the, this gospel, of course, is a gospel of birth. Right? Uh-huh. It's a gospel of what? It's a gospel of birth. It's talking of the criteria for being born. It's poverty. 
Glory to Jesus. So which kind of birth is this poverty a criteria for? Which birth? David, which one? Which one? No, not the throne now. The children, what's it called? What did Jesus call it? Water and spirit. So poverty, you need poverty to be born of water and of what? The spirit. Do you see that? Because which birth, this is the birth of water and spirit, is the birth which the spirit of the Lord does, not the spirit of God. Right? After preaching the gospel to the poor, there's a gospel to the poor, right? Which culminates in the preaching of the acceptable year of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Isaiah 61, because he has anointed me to preach tidings to the meek. So the poor and the meek are the same thing. Then to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim captives, open of them that are bound, then to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then what? The, do you see that? And the day of vengeance. You, have to, you can remove from that first semicolon after make to the bound. You see semicolon after milk, make, then to the bound is semicolon. Just remove all those things there. They are explanations. Right? Then what he calls these good tidings, after that, you now see to proclaim. It's not another thing after opening prison to them that are bound. Do you see that? It's not another thing. Once you remove those two, it's just like saying, preaching the, the good tidings to the meek, then continuing and saying, which is to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord first, and then the day of vengeance of our God, and that semicolon. Are you seeing that? So it means that the gospel are two things. The acceptable year of the Lord, first of all, and then the what? The day of vengeance of our God. Do you understand that? Amen. Amen. So, so you can see that the, the being born, the, you have to see this meekness of heart is the is the summary description of David's heart. Meekness is David's, David has to do with birth from meekness to meekness till the meekness of the throne. Right? The wheels of God are meekness's levels. And the words 
are according to meekness standards which you fulfill. So it means that the children's children are more meek than the children. Right? The reason for the provision is to create more meekness. It's, it's, it's the journey that can produce the meekness of the throne. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 55, quickly, so we can close. Amen. It says, Who everyone that thirsted, come ye to the waters. He that had no money, come ye, buy and eat. Ye, come, buy wine and milk without what money. You see, the, the criteria is he that thirsted. Right? He that does what? If, means if you're not thirsting, don't come. Is he that thirsted? It's like a, it's a call to David's. You, once you become part of the family of God, wait until you have become thirsty. Wow. Thirsty or hungry or poor. Enough. Then everyone that thirsted, come ye to the waters. If you have, either has no money, come by and eat. Ye come by wine and milk without money and without price. So. This wine, milk, these are what you call provisions. In 132, we call them provisions. So wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is satisfied not? Harking diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul do what? Delight itself. So the word good is in qualifying the will of God. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. Praise God. And I will make you then I will make you an everlasting covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even what? The sure mercies of David. The sure, coming into the sure mercies of David have to do with arriving at meekness, poverty, or, or hunger, or thirst, which is a kind of meekness, then receiving provision. Then when you receive provision, you become candidate for, in David, there are sure mercies. The word sure means oath product. Which you must do well to make your calling and election sure. It doesn't become sure until a point. The point where it becomes sure is when oath has been initiated. It has to do with swearing. Am I making some sense to you? The, the sure word, the sure mercies of David, I'll make, and so the everlasting covenant is as a product of sure mercies, which David has. Glory to Jesus. How did it come about is, first of all, passing through a season of inclining your ears. Come unto me here, your soul shall live. I must quicken you, I must load you with life and quicken you with life, glory to Jesus, until you come to a point where I can talk to you in a certain way, where I begin to speak to you concerning the sure word, the sure mercies of David, glory to Jesus. The heart must have been, must have come to a place of desire for provisions, provisions, the inclining, Towards the invisible, 
almost like I'll call it an insatiable appetite for that which is invisible. Not getting tired of the invisible, but staying with the invisible. Keep being, maintaining the meekness and the hunger for that which is invisible. Glory to Jesus and not, 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 not being expired. Not allowing your hunger for the invisible to, what, to get what expired. But rather the Lord will continue to expand that hunger. Because there is a tie and there is a link between meekness and hunger. A, proud, a sign that you are proud is that you are not hungry for God. That's a sign you are, I know a proud person. You have something else you want to go and do because you have esteemed those things better than what God is saying. So God's saying is just it's a side thing. It's not something to anchor your life on, to stay, move into the invisible and stay in, so the, in the land of priesthood. The world of priesthood is a world of hearing, is a world of provision. It takes meekness. When you see priests, priests are not seduced by the, the, the lifestyle, the partying, the, everything that they are doing outside of the camp. That kind of life is not interesting to the priest the priest has a meekness of living, right, which is a kind of an, a sense of that poverty on the inside, which makes the soul constantly depend for being provided for, being catered for, the soul being catered for by God. That's a David. Glory to Jesus. So what we call the sure mercies of David is talking about a point where of, of mercy that David will hit in the spirit because of poverty, right? They're continuing to go after provision, right? Go back again quickly, just verse two. Let's see it. So, so wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which is satisfied, don't hacking diligently unto me, and eat that which is good. What are you eating? Those provisions that we saw. So let your soul delight itself, right? So you must learn to delight in fatness. It takes meekness to delight in fatness. Because you, when you find fatness, you find fatness in the spirit, fatness for the soul. You know, do you know that fatness for the soul doesn't excite the outward life? Rather, it makes the, in, the secret life fat. There's a difference between investing on excitement and feeling the outward versus trying to do the inward investment to make sure that he that is within is fat. To make sure that the soul is fat. That's how you can tell a priest. A priest invests on the inside. And you know that you can't, the inward cannot eat. With, it, only, it only eats through the invisible. If you want your inward man to be hungry, leave the invisible. Look at other things. Just, just be looking at other things. You see, after some time, the inward man will be very, very hungry. But if you want to feed the, hungry, the inward man, short of other things, go on, right? Spend your labor, amen, for on the what? Invisible. 
The act of doing that is what God calls meekness. Meekness. You cannot separate. Meekness is not a, a kind of behavior or a kind of disposition. You can never define meekness separate from attitude towards God's word. Every other definition of meekness does not count. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll do it, sir. I'll be there, sir. Thank you, sir. This one, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That one, ma. That one, ma. That's not meekness. The heaven, they don't see such things, actually. I, I believe Martha was doing, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you want, how do you write the dodo? Should it be very, very, uh, you know what I mean? Do you like it very soft or do you like it? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I will do it, sir. I'll go. She was doing yes, sir, in the, in the kitchen. And that's not meekness. It's not about, it's, it's, in God's mind, meekness is about what I'm saying. Don't bring any other thing into the picture. It's, about, it's just about what I'm saying. How, how, are you, how are you acting to what I'm saying? Are you, are you inclining your ears to hear, to eat that which is good? Right? That's God's standard. Speaking concerning what David wants to fulfill, that building the house of God and all of that, some, amen. This Psalm chapter, sorry, Isaiah 66, right? Say, so where is the house you built for me? Where is the place of my rest? God was asking. Ever is my throne and the earth my foot to where is the house that you built unto me? Where is the place of my rest? Verse 2 quickly. It says, for all these things have my hand made and all those things have been, say the Lord. But to this man will I look, him that is, of, is poor and of a contrite spirit and does what? Tremble it at my word. That's the definition of poverty. And the contrary spirit is trembling. Simple. You must, you have to check how do you regard the word of God? These are the things that heaven count to. So they count. They count, when you say meek man to heaven. Someone might not look meek, you know, in their design, but you get what I mean? Someone might not look meek in how they are, with their way they are, but, but somebody can look very, very meek. Right? But that one you don't expect meekness from, trembles at the word. Right, can, when it comes to the word of God. When you open the word, attention rises, interest, they come alive. That's how you know a meek fellow. A meek fellow comes alive when God's word comes. A proud fellow sleeps when God's word comes. You can't fake it. You can never fake it. If something means nothing to you, you can't fake it. Do you understand? <laughs> it shows. It shows. It shows you can't fake you can't fake hunger. Can you fake hunger? You can't fake hunger. You can fake okay. I'm hungry. Hunger, hunger has is this something. There's something about hunger. Hunger is desperation. Yes, sir. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's written. This was the code Jesus was living by when Satan came to tempt him. So let me tell you something. This is written. Oh. My own book where I read, it's written there in the code. That man shall not live by bread alone. By every, it means that you don't take one and go and sleep. You are, if you are living by every word, 
your eyes, if your ears are inclined to catch everyone's an attention because of how you regard it, you won't let one to drop. You want to take all of the word of God. By every word you live. Right? Live by bread alone, no. But by every word. Hacking unto me diligently. Right? Hear and live. That's what he was saying here. A, a priest is someone who has been fashioned to get life. And they know that life only comes by words. It's a, the, the words I speak unto you are spirit. And they are what? Life. The spirit quickened the flesh, profit and nothing. It was I speak to you, they are what? Spirit. The spirit quicken it. And those spirits are in words that are spiritual. Spiritual words. The soul must have so much appetite to drink spiritual words. To drink spiritual provision that will unlock the door into precepts and into ways of the spirit. They're constantly feeding on spiritual things. That's the sign of priestly nature. Right, the sign of priestly nature is nature towards provisions. How do you act about provision? That's how you know a David in the spirit. That's what set David apart. Saul didn't think too much about it. Well, God can, God has been saying many things. Is it just one of the things again? You know, maybe it, maybe that instruction came through Samuel. Because I doubt maybe he hears God himself. So Samuel told him, God said, don't kill everything. No. Ah, we just feel like it's not one of those things that... It means that if he didn't pay attention to that, what other things has he been ignoring? To him, this guy has come again. He's always bringing word from God. It didn't mean anything to him. But David... And David, what you think are David's issues? You know, he killed somebody. The worst kind of thing you can do, he did it. Tell me something worse than what David did. You can't, you have, you can't find it. The way he did it, it's evil, like evil, like what you call it, evil, evil. It's not by mistake, something, you know what I mean? It means that he did it over time. He was sleeping, waking up, thinking, doing it. Till he planned and killed the man, sent him to, you know what I mean? That evil, anyhow you put, think of evil, David did evil. But he was different. David, he must not joke with Nathan. The prophet. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Those things are in the Bible to teach you how God judges people. So, did you you hear that Saul murdered anybody or anything? No. When Nathan began to talk, David greeted him, was listening to him. David thought he was telling story. As he was gisting his story, David was reacting. You mean someone did that? You mean someone was. That will tell you how his attention toward the prophet is he's ready to take up arms. Got prophetic word. Once he said, You are that man, O king. Immediately he hit him. Jesus. He knew that. Do you understand?
Thank you. Can you hear it quickly? Because of time, you know, time Shatalia paria pasifatianata Procosa pahata Fafanaita faricoso pretalita Proco pahata Fafaita licanta falia prateli sopranta laba Racatototo soprenta levenaita Pramaita fanta laca tosi prata Lecaita vanta la toso pratali Zazanta lepanta for I'm showing I'm showing a heart that beats before me. I'm showing you the heart that I can see. The heart I see is the heart that trembles at every tittle and jot of my word. That is the heart I can come to. That is the heart I am looking and rooting for. It is the heart that vibrates at my word, that longs and pants at every of my word lepata likosta for I'm far away from those who regard not the tiny bit of my word from lepata I'm showing you I am showing you I am showing you the secret of David the secret of David the afflictions of David lepata for this is the attitude that cost him not to rest until he built a house from me it is the heart of a meek man of a broken man of a heart that trembles at every of my word that exalts my word more than is necessary food that exalts my word more than the things which they can see that exalts my invisibility that exalts even my words more than their present need that exalts the word even more than their reality of the present for the word is transporting them into a reality for my word is a reality it is a reality of life but it is to those who tremble who for this is the secret of David that he could say those words that I would not give sleep to my eyes nor rest until I find a place of rest for my God it is the stature of his heart it is his meekness it is his brokenness it is his trembling at every beat of my word thank you Jesus you know we've heard so much about meekness all of those things the lamb nature in this company um but somewhere, because of the culture we have, there's a way you can see meekness as how you talk and how you behave and how you... How does, that's, not, that's part of it. Those are the fruit of a meek nature. But that's not where meekness is. Meekness first is to the word. It's how you regard the word. If your heart doesn't tremble before the word, you're not meek. That's what reveals how you behave towards me can reveal whether you are meek or there. Because there are many reasons why you can be nice towards me, why you can say sad to me. There are many reasons why you can, I can think of why you can do that. So you can't prove a heart. God can't prove a heart by those, just that thing, of your acting meek and all that. How you will know is how does that person regard? How you know how, how sufficient the person is in themselves? Is let God's word come. How do they handle it? Does it? Is there a genuine need? Because it's your sense of insufficiency that shows you how you demonstrate something when a provision is coming. If you feel full, it will mean nothing to you. It means you are full with other things. So the Lord wants us to check your meekness. Cry to the Lord and say, Lord, if, I, if my heart is not trembling at your word, I want to gain more trembling. I want to gain more trembling because... If we don't have it, the doors will be shut. We won't gain access.
to anything that has to do with the dominion of God, God will shut us out. But God won't shut us out in Jesus' name. The Lord will create trembling, more of trembling, more of brokenness, more of meekness. Lord, we bless us indeed for that inquisitive heart, the heart that desires the one thing, the one thing heart, the one thing attitude. The Lord will desire, will raise that, that kind of nature, the nature that will choose to sit and listen than be encumbered with so many things. The Lord will put that in us. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray you just wanted to impart some understanding this morning. I pray that your spirit will, will establish this understanding in our hearts, oh God. Uh, it wouldn't just be stolen away by the birds of the air. But Father, we will keep this seed, O oh Lord, and let it, O oh Lord, germinate within us and bring forth fruit. Thank you, our God. We give all the praise to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.